for the reading of the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John 3:14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the spirit in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who did not, for all who do evil, hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of our Lord. Well, this morning, uh, our, our gospel reading is very familiar to many of us. This, this passage from uh, John 3, and, and in particular, verse 16 and, and 17. Uh, I remember a, a number of years ago, it started popping up. If you were watching sporting events or any time a big crowd would be around, it would pop up on a poster. Somebody would be standing in the back holding up a, a sign that said John three sixteen on it. Um, see that different places. And last week when we started our, our worship service, we talked about scripture being like a diamond and, and needing to, to hold that diamond and turn it to see uh, a new facet, to see the, the, the light shine through it in a different way. And so uh, this is a familiar passage to many of us, and so we're going to try and turn that diamond once again this morning uh, to see something new. And so as we take a look at this passage, would you pray with me? God, we thank you uh, that we can continue to be together in different ways. Um, and as we gather together, in, in some of us in, in common space and time, and others in, in different places and different times, we pray that you would be moving in our midst, helping us to uh, hear your spirit at work in our lives. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our heart, be pleasing to you. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage of scripture comes at the end of a story about a man named Nicodemus, who is one of the, the Pharisees in Jerusalem, and he comes at night uh, to ask Jesus some questions, that the fact that he comes at night is important for us to understand that um, he may be really questioning, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want others to know 
that he's coming and asking these questions of Jesus. He's not ready, ready to be a disciple out in the light. We will see Nicodemus later in, in John's gospel in the light, uh, but at this point he is not ready to be seen, to, ready to be recognized as someone who might be interested in following Jesus. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again from above, uh, which confuses Nicodemus. And then Jesus begins to introduce him to the way in which uh, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man or the human one. Jesus, as the representative human, must be lifted up. And he begins to talk to Nicodemus about this, this lifting up. And then in verse 13, uh, Jesus starts to uh, explain this, and he says, No one has ever ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Jesus is linking his uh, ascending and descending together, which flows then, brings us into verse 14, where Jesus says, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Some of us might get to that passage and, you know, the first time that, that I read that and, and you get to this serpent in the wilderness and the story of Moses, I had to say, hold on a second, wait a minute, what is going on here? How, do we, how does Jesus make this jump? Jesus can make that jump very easily because he's talking with Nicodemus, who's uh, a teacher of Israel. He's a rabbi. He's uh, immersed himself in, in the scriptures of the Old Testament. But for you and me, this can kind of be a little bit of a, a jarring jump back into the Old Testament to a story that maybe we're not super familiar with. And so Jesus is going back to a story out of Numbers 21. Back to a story of the Old Testament Israelite people who are wandering in the wilderness. And here's what the story from Numbers 21 says. It says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. How many of you have been impatient in the last year? They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. The people had been rescued from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They had been brought, miraculously brought through the Red Sea, and they get out into the wilderness, and they praise God by saying... There's no bread, there's no water, and we hate the food that we have. They are grumbling, they are complaining. And so in Numbers 21, we read that God sends venomous snakes among the people, and many are getting bit, and many die. And certainly it gets people's attention. When you're, when you're suffering the consequences of your complaining and grumbling and, and sin, it gets their attention. And so they begin to come and confess to Moses and to God and to plead for healing. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So those that were bit 
or were in danger of being bit, needed to look on this serpent statue that had been raised up on this pole. Bible commentator uh, Alicia Meyer says that the, they must see the image of their sin and acknowledge their wrongdoing in order to accept God's gift of life. The people of Israel needed to look and see and recognize their complaining, their grumbling, you know, the way that they are not in harmony with God. They need to look on the consequences of that. They need to acknowledge what has happened in order to receive healing. You know, we're often used to uh, hearing about Jesus and, and associating that with the blood of the Lamb. That's often an image when we think of the cross, we, we think of the blood of the Lamb. Thinking of Jesus as the serpent raised up for our healing is not an image that we're as used to thinking about. And certainly John uses a lot of the blood of the lamb imagery throughout his gospel, but here he is tapping into a different imagery. What about this snake? For these people in the wilderness, the snake was a tangible symbol of the consequences of their actions. Their healing came in facing the reality that they had screwed up and that they needed to take in the full weight of what had happened. But this story in Numbers is not the the first time that we hear about a, a serpent biting the people of God. If we go further back in the Old Testament, we go back to Genesis 3, back to the very beginning. And there a serpent twists God's words. And the human ones, the Adam and Eve, choose to follow their own path as they long to decide good and evil apart from God. And they eat the the fruit that was forbidden after the serpent has twisted God's words. God comes to the garden and and there's this, this blame game that starts where they say, well, it's the serpent's fault. Well, it's the woman's fault. Well, you know, Adam, you're the one that was really supposed to be responsible over this stuff. So, you know, we're all part of that blame game. Part of what God says here to the serpent is because you have done this, because the serpent had tricked Adam and Eve and twisted God's command, God says, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so these serpent bites, talked about in Genesis, talked about in Numbers, are representing the consequences of sin, the consequences of us trying to do things on our own, the consequences of us trying to, to you know, worry about ourselves and not line up with God's plan. We may experience those bites in lots of different ways. Sometimes we are held directly accountable for our, our wrong actions or, or choices or the things that we've done. And we're actually, we're, when we're held accountable, we might feel some of those, those bites. 
those stings. But sometimes it also seems as though people get away with wrong actions. But I think there are always consequences. And so we might experience these, these bites in very different ways, whether that is in the breakdown of relationships or uh, a stepping out of line with the way life was meant to be and we, and we feel those, those, those bites or whether those bites are a wrestling internally with our, with our own wrongdoing, the, the things that we've, we've messed up at. In a very real way, what John is saying here is sin bites. And we feel that sting. They must see the image of their sin and acknowledge their wrongdoing in order to accept God's gift of life. So we go back to, to John's story. You know, Adam and Eve were the, the first human ones and they had to deal with the consequences, the, the bites of their action. The people in Numbers, the Israelites in the wilderness, needed to come face to face with the image of their sin and accept and repent of their actions. And now Jesus is talking about taking in those very actions, that very sin, becoming the collection of all those bites throughout all human history. And so one of the things that happens on the cross is all of those, those collection of bites, all of the, the consequences of sin are coalescing into one person at one time, at one place in history. And Jesus is taking on all of those bites. He becomes the embodiment of sin, taking it into himself so that it might be crucified on the cross. And as he is raised up, humanity has to come face to face with the image of our sin and acknowledge our wrongdoing in order to accept God's gift of life. Think about how ugly the cross is, the visual weight of what is happening at the cross. But here we go. Why does God send the Son to take on the bites of humanity's choices? John lays it out like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, so that the world might be saved through him. Why does God send Jesus to take on the bites that are yours and mine, that are uh, the consequences of, of our choices and our actions and, and the actions in the world, because God loved the world. Because God loved us. He is willing to come and take on all of those bites into himself. We translate that word, God so loved the world, but the, the Greek word there is cosmos, God loved the cosmos so much. God wanted to redeem all creation, all, all cosmos, because of his love. 
Now John starts to shift from the metaphor uh, of, of the serpent to a metaphor of light. Jesus being raised up is both healing and judgment. And when I, when I often I hear about judgment, I, you know, I have a negative connotation of judgment. It's, it's, you know, it's something I don't want to, to suffer. And yet, in Scripture, judgment is often looked at as good news. Because remember, uh, for those that are being oppressed, those who are suffering in slavery, those who are being persecuted and marginalized, to have someone come and declare truth, to judge right and wrong, that is good news for the oppressed. And so for us who are suffering under the, the slavery of sin, for those who are suffering the, the bites uh, of sin in the world, to have the Savior come and bring healing and determine truth, Declare right and wrong. This is good news. Jesus is light that exposes things, that exposes systems, that exposes people, that exposes the part in each of us for what they are. Again, Leisha Myers says that Jesus' arrival, therefore, can lead one out of darkness and into light and life. Or it can confirm one's place among the dead. We can look at the cross. Jesus taking on the sin and the serpent bites of the world, and we can acknowledge, we can confess and repent our own wrongdoing, our own part in that sin, and we can be healed. We can look on it and be healed, or else the light exposes our own deadness already. Well, because we have Scripture and because we have kind of a, a, a fuller picture of the story. There's a sneak peek at more of this good news story because this is not the last time that we are going to encounter the image of a, a serpent in Scripture. In fact, this isn't the last time in John's own writing. In John's revelation, the image of the serpent has grown. It has become fully manifest in the image of the dragon. It is the epitome of sin run rampant. And this serpent dragon has made a complete mess of everything. But ultimately, the serpent and dragon are conquered by the slaughtered lamb who takes on the sin bites of the world going through death to life. The truth is we all need healing. We all need healing. We've all gotten bit. Some by our own choices, some by the choices of others, some just as a result of uh, the serpent at work in the world. And, and we suffer the bites. Our healing comes 
in facing and naming and repenting of our sin. To look on the image of our sin nailed to the cross. Acknowledge our own wrongdoing, our own complicity in those systems, our own uh, breakdown, our own brokenness, and to be healed. This is the good news. So let us rejoice. God so loves the world. May God, your maker, send you back into the world with creative energies refreshed. May Christ the light illuminate your darkest moments, and may the Holy Spirit of steadfast love guide you until we worship together again this day and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week, Spring Creek.